Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Danzy, and I are recording this on Monday, November 25th, three days out from Thanksgiving. More importantly, though, for Star Wars fans, we're just four days away from a new episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, Dan, I got to tell you, I'm three episodes in, and I am absolutely loving this Disney Plus series. What's your take on it? This show is... It's it's glorious. It is mm-hmm. it is Star Wars uh, adrenaline is what it mm-hmm. is. And the fact that it that they have masterfully chosen to release this once a week mm-hmm. gets that hype train rebooted every uh, every week in such an amazing way. I mean, I think I told you that for the first episode, mm-hmm. I woke up without my alarm at three thirty in the morning, uh, almost in a, a cold sweat, thinking, "Oh my gosh, I've got to watch this before someone ruins it for me because I'm such a spoiler phobe." And <sighs> And I, I love it. And what's even cooler is I'm showing it to my mythology students. We're writing reflective essays on mythology and culture through these episodes. Uh, all my classes are booked for next semester and next year because everyone thinks all we're doing is watching The Mandalorian, which <laughs> that isn't true. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. But it's great. This appointment of viewing that they have set up reminds me of the excitement of seeing the original trilogy and mm-hmm. waiting for that to happen. But now, instead of waiting three years, you just wait six days, and boy, they, they are killing it in, on every level. Okay, and now, uh, can we assume three episodes in, we can get a little specific story-wise? I, I think, um, yes, because it's okay. all over every social media outlet. Even John Favreau's posting it. Oh, cool. Well, yeah. you know, though I don't know if you saw just today that evidently somebody from Disney legal made the mistake of going out, sending out cease and desist to folks who were using the, the baby Yoda, yes. you know, for Instagram and, and that sort of thing. And it's like, Oh pal, <laughs> come on. You know, uh, you know, this is the thing that's about to make millions upon millions of dollars for the company. In fact, um, isn't this I, doing more better? Isn't more better. Wow. English teacher. Isn't this doing better than stranger things, which I think is fascinating now, but when then we see these reports, does mm-hmm. that mean Stranger Things now or when the new s- seasons drop? That's an interesting point. Um, you know, face it, you know, Stranger Things at this point is a cultural phenomenon. You know, the, yes, the, yes. You know, so and Mandalorian is is sort of gaining momentum as we go along here. Uh, but I love, you know, I mean, I don't know if you saw the story that that, that broke over the last. 48 hours or so that evidently, you know, in fact, it's, it's 1977 all over again, Dan. It's like people are, where are the Mandalorian toys? And it's, oh, like, isn't well, it just like the, um, the mystery, the, the box that you can get in 1978 yep. that didn't have anything in it. Yeah. Well, there you go. But Early the funny special. Thing is, last week, I'm, you know, again, I finally made it to Galaxy's Edge and we'll talk about that back half of the show. Um, but I'm, I'm in the Tordarian toy maker store. And I, you know, from having, you know, been to Black Spire Outpost that, that the gimmick of this store is it's, it's as if the toys are made, you know, right there on Batuu, you know, they're, they're hand sewn together. They have that sort of aesthetic. Um, but what they had done is they had taken one of the Yoda, uh, little, you know, cloth toys 
and had put it in, I want to say it was an inverted helmet and put it up on a high shelf and positioned it in such a way <laughs> that it looked just like Baby Yoda and the Mandalorian. Smart. And honestly, you would you would have thought that it's like, you know, we're selling new flavors of crack here, folks. You know, just people <laughs> like, oh, oh, I want the Baby Yoda doll. And it's like, well, it's not really the Baby Yoda doll, but sure, go ahead, buy it. Um, but but I, I have to admit, I, I'm so enjoying the 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 style of storytelling on this that the way it's you know the, the way we're sort of learning about you know this title character here and you know between his backstory you know which you know gets alluded to in flashbacks and that sort of thing as being somewhat tragic you know get you know as a child and you know the the talking of you know how he's actually setting you know when there are extra pieces of beskar or that sort of thing is being set aside for the foundling so you're you know he's he's a bounty hunter, but the, the, you're suggesting he's a he's a conflicted bounty hunter. He may you know he may be a guy with a softer side, though. Um, at the same time, I, I love the fact that he took payment. He he left the child. He you know he he picked up his next assignment, and that wonderful moment him the cockpit of his ship, and he's about to take off, and he goes to to hit the control that the baby Yoda had, you know, unscrewed the knob on. And it was, it was that little quiet moment that, you know, the whole second half of the episode, you know, turned on. You uh, see evidence of this throughout because in the second episode, he refers to mm-hmm. the child as it. Yep. And then suddenly we don't get that pronoun. We get the kid. Now the kid mm-hmm. is not still not the child, mm-hmm. um, but, it, but it's still a step in the right direction. So you get to see his apotheosis when he he makes that that mm-hmm. shift, and I think he he's he when we see these incredible flashbacks to him as mm-hmm. is one of the foundlings. I think he sees he gets empathy, realizing that this child is no different than him. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. boy, then we get like a Christopher Nolan Batman thing that Deborah Chow brought us the way he retrieves baby Yoda, oh. that is just another level and i think you mentioned uh, the three different episodes i think the mm-hmm. fact that we have different directors and different lenses through which we're able to see this mm-hmm. is magnificent and it is uh very much presenting itself through the storytelling well it's interesting you mentioned that because the very next one that drops is friday is directed by bryce dallas howard you know and and you know who a lot of folks know from the Jurassic World films but of course is you know her dad's Ron you know of you know the the, the director of Solo a Star Wars story so got to wonder you know what sort of conversations those two had before she took on this assignment um before we we step off of the Mandalorian I have to ask are you familiar with the John Ford film The Three Godfathers I am not Okay, it, it, it actually something you might want to seek out for the holiday season. It's actually it's weirdly it's a uh, it's a John Wayne film uh, again from uh, directed by John Ford. You know, and that they did lots of great work together. But it's from 1948, and the weird it's really sort of a weird bend on the story of the three Magi. It's it it's a, a reader's digest vision of the story. It's, wow. it's about these three outlaws who are on the run after a bank robbery. And, but they, they, they're out, you know, crossing the desert. And as, as they, they, they cross it, as they come across this wagon train that's been attacked. And there's this woman, uh, in one of the wagons who's dying, a pregnant woman who's dying. And, you know, as she's there, she gives birth to the child, but she makes these three guys swear that they'll take care of her baby. 
And and the the you know the weird thing is over time again you watch these characters that you think of as villains you know grow to care for the child and make sacrifices you know some pretty profound sacrifices to protect the child and it was just you know the fact that the Mandalorian sort of has that that you know uh, Clint Easterwood spaghetti western vibe going for it and they've now revealed this sort of, you know, where the story path seems to be going. It was just sort of like, wow, it's the three Godfathers. Um, That's an apt comparison. I'm going to have to track that down. Yeah, no, no, definitely worth seeking out. Um, but, but again, as much as I love how this story is unfolding, uh, I, I got to tell you that the most recent episode of right, uh, uh, Star Wars resistance um I, I gotta tell you, I, I'm I'm starting to get frustrated with this animated series, Dan, and it's it's not because you know that they aren't putting out some amazingly compelling characters and some some really fun story ideas, but you know they face it, they got canceled, and so they're trying to collapse like four seasons worth of stories into. Um, into two seasons, and do we, do we know for sure this was going to be four years though? Because I've never, I always got the impression that this was a uh, only going to be two two seasons because um, it's in a okay. small time frame and there's not there's a, a small window to tell a, a really powerful story. Well, the interesting thing that I was told, and again, this is from the Disney Television side. I didn't necessarily get this from Dave Filoni, but they were always anticipating they'd get three seasons. And with the notion of there were potentially places to go for four. Um, and, you know, you know, with the notion of especially that this was going to drop between um, The Last Jedi and, you know, uh, Rise of Skywalker and, you know, sort of help keep people uh, on, you know, uh, you know, interested in the franchise. You know, and for example, you know, that's one of the reasons why Poe Dameron is front and center or at least you know, early on and, and comes in and out of the, the storyline. But, um, you know, I mean, just the character that got it, introduced in this last episode, you know, Captain Doze's wife, Vanessa, I believe her name was. Yes. Um, you know, and a great character, wonderful storyline, and she's gone, you know. Uh, and and likewise, you know, this whole thing of Tam, who's now joined the First Order, but appears to be having second thoughts and is just... Again, the show seemed to be picking up speed, um, and you know, I, I guess I'm getting, you know, the, the honestly, that's in a weird sort of way. It's to kind of to Star Wars Resistance detriment that the Mandalorian is is up and running now because you know this is beautifully paced storytelling, and, and in fact, for I, I love how you notice that that you know thing from it, you know, the the title character going from calling the baby Yoda it to the kid, you know, mm -hmm. that, that that's, that, that's something that had to unfold in, in, you know, a logical way to have emotional resonance, right. uh, you know, within the story and with, with star Wars resistance, it's, I feel like the rock is rolling downhill and it's picking up speed and it's like, no, you know, slow down. This, there's some good stories to tell here. Well, if it um, helps, I've, yeah. I've been living this series uh, with my son who's six, mm -hmm. and he loves it. Every okay. time it's over, he so I think, I mean, obviously it's a different audience than The Mandalorian, mm -hmm. which is a much grittier take on Star Wars, but still Star Wars, uh, 
field. A star mm-hmm. was oxygenated, I guess, might be an interesting way to describe it. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess let's just wait uh, and okay. see how they played out. because, And I, I hadn't heard that about it being potentially three seasons because on uh, what I had heard was that two years is all that they ever wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, because they're going on to something else, well, which, which will be clear in a couple of weeks. Okay, well... Sense. Yeah, I don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I, I trust Dave Filoni implicitly. You know, right. that, 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 you know he, and again, he's not really bigly, largely involved in this one. Not really. Well, remember, he he got it up and you know, sort of got it going. You yeah. know, and and shaped the shape the story direction, and then had to pivot to Mandalorian. But anyway, well, well, while we're good. talking talking about things that are zooming along, um, did you see <laughs> just today we got news about? I guess a. a the the actual running time for yes. Skywalker. Right. Um, now, uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong, and I think we actually talked about this back in October. There were reports back then that had um, this J.J. Abrams films clocking in at two hours and 35 minutes, which would have made it, I guess, the longest uh, Star Wars film. Um, but just today, uh, I guess J.B. did, did an interview with EW live. And he said at, at this point, give or take a, you know, a couple of minutes of, of credits at the end, uh, rise of Skywalker is going to be two hours and 21 minutes. Um, so I got, and they wonder. said it's done, right? They said that he's done with working on it. Is that true? I, that's what I'm hearing. Right. Um, so what do you think? It, it, it was it the, the early, cause remember, didn't we get that information from like exhibitors? I think I think that was that was what it was originally being touted as, but they also I don't think were even done with all the all the cuts and all the trims and all the all the okay. window dressing. So I I never you never know with these things. I feel like Rogue One was kind of like this too, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean? guess so. I yeah. guess so. Um, it's oh. it's going to be interesting, and in, in, you know, like you said, something. Who knows how much the credits will be, and, and at, in the end, will it be the first after credit scene where we get to see Howard the Duck? Hard to say. <laughs> you and Howard the Duck. I promise Thanks. I won't do any duck puns. Okay, that's, that's it. I, by the way, I, I heard from so many people <laughs> about you know. It's like wow, it's 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 like that guy in the um, uh, what is it? The Hoop Dieter Review who does. The endless series of bear jokes, you know, just it was like, you know, just Dan, I did. Nobody knew there were that many duck related jokes on the planet. Dan. It was very <laughs> I'm <impressive>. flattered. <laughs> Thank you. OK, now, now to, to, to duck back for a second to uh, again, the Disney Plus, the new subscription streaming service. Sure. I know Star Wars fans are going to really enjoying the Mandalorian, but. If they're not also watching Leslie Iwerks' excellent documentary series and the Imagineering story, they are really missing out. Um, did you get to, to catch this last episode, episode three, The Midas Touch? I haven't seen it yet, but based on what you and I talked about earlier in the week, oh boy, I need to do it as soon as we're done recording. Well, it's just what's great about it is this this picks up in the part of the story. It's, it's roughly 1984 after Epcot opens. And, you know, that Disney's been green mailed. And so, you know, who comes through the door with Michael Eisner and Frank Wells? And, and it, it talks about how, you know, Frank and, and Michael think Disneyland is actually cooler than the Imagineers do. It's like, oh, we got to put cool stuff in this. And, you know, what's, what's cooler, you know, at that point than George Lucas and the Star Wars films? And 
So and so now you suddenly get into this amazing chunk of the, the documentary where they they show you know the actual construction of Star Tours. You get to see them, you know, they carve a hole in the roof of the old uh, Adventures Through Inner Space building, and they they're using a crane to lower in four of these twenty six thousand pound cars, the, the simulator cabins, um, and even better, they actually have. Uh, th- it's an amazing piece of video of Anthony Daniels in the recording booth, uh, you know, <laughs> recording the spiel for what was then known. In fact, he actually tells people, welcome to Star Rides, because, <laughs> God, as terrible as that name what it, it is, Dan, the, the first name for the ride was even worse, Starbus. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that's no good. <laughs> so I get, but, but anyway, I mean, they go all the way through the thing. You get to see George and, 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 and Michael cutting the ribbon for, for star tours with a, the, with a lightsaber. You, you get to see the, the line that goes all the way down main street for the 60 hour party. Um, and, and for those of you who are also Indiana Jones fans, uh, they take you inside the Indiana Jones adventure. Um, you know, and you, know, you get to see that. Ride under construction. And speaking of which, did you see um, the, the the news coming out from Disneyland that uh, in 2020, uh, the Indiana Jones Adventure out there is getting a, a, a massive new update, lots of new effects, and and that sort of thing? Is it really? No, I yep. didn't know that. Oh, that's great yep. news! Wow. So, downside is <laughs> it means a lot of summer walking by you know a closed off temple but you know later in the year could be very very cool do we have any um, hints about what what that might mean or is it too early well you know the the weird thing is they've actually already done an update i, I want to say in the last three to four years where for example you know that scene where you you have looked in the eyes of mara um they 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 updated the projection effect there, and they also brought in a spectacular new animatronic snake uh, in midway through the attraction. But my understanding is the the part of the ride where you know where the blow darts, you know, the the, the or the effect, you know, yeah. the, the, the that's where honestly the money ran out. <laughs> you know, they were they were running and gunning to get the thing open. Uh, in uh, 94, 95, and it's just sort of like, I, we don't have money. You know, just, just you know, we, we, you know, we need to spend it in places where people, you know, will really appreciate it and, you know, the rolling rock and all that. Uh, but it looks like they're going to revisit that, you know, finally deliver on that portion of the attraction uh, and try to do some some updating of the, the main chamber. So uh, the, bu- the bug effect doesn't even really work too much anymore now. I don't yeah. think yeah, you know, in, in fact, um, you know, those who uh, those folks who actually got to see Indiana Jones in operation during its first summer. Uh, did you ever hear about the collapsing ceiling effect? Oh, I, I remember it very well. I thought it was um, groundbreaking. I loved it. I, well, it was, so you, yeah. but, but again, you know, the whole conceit of it was that what is it? They had a, a flash freezer. And in fact, it was actually pretty ingenious. You know, the notion is that in, in the ceiling, they had a flash freezer. And I want to say every 90 seconds, they could create a solid piece of ice that they, they then would drop directly in front of you. So you, you'd think, oh, my God, the ceiling's collapsing. But the cool thing was that it would land 
on a drain that was heated. So the ice, you know, was superheated, by the way. So the ice would immediately melt. It was sort of the self-control, you know, contained system. Um, you know, that, that, and every 90 seconds, a new chunk of ceiling would fall out. But, um, I, I think, you know, as happens with, you know, all attractions, whenever an imaginator's handed off to ops, it's just sort of like, yeah, that's hard to maintain and that's expensive and we'll be turning that off. And that's what happened there. So, um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, what comes, you know, what gets added during during this ne- next update? But I'm thrilled. Uh, I hope they take know, some I, of the uh, the great indie stuff from the great movie ride and, and move that over just to have it. That's still. that's an excellent idea That'd because be that's to get the art. So, yeah. well, uh, speaking of which, um, uh, you know, uh, while we're talking about theme park things, uh, just this past week at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, we had IAPA's Attraction Expo. And at that event, it was announced that Star Wars Galaxy's Edge has received two Theo Awards. These are, uh, 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 for those listeners who don't know, uh, this is the equivalent of an Academy Award for the themed entertainment business. And uh, But you know, they received two awards for Outstanding Achievement. And, uh, and what was especially cool is that they brought the creative team behind Galaxy's Edge into panel. Um, and I don't know if you heard about, uh, you know, heard anything about this, Dan? Uh, no, but, I haven't. Okay. At one point, Margaret Carrison, who's the managing story editor for Walt Disney Imagineering, uh, as part of the panel, was quoted as saying, believe me, it's not over. We are looking into the future of storytelling for Galaxy's Edge above and beyond what you currently see today. So this is something that's ongoing, something that's evolving, and something that we're very excited about. Um, and I have to tell you, having just been in there, you know, this past week, you know, remember how there were initially some folks grumbling about, you know, you know, there aren't enough Star Wars characters in here. Where were the droids? You know, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> when yeah. I was at uh, you know, I would, I was in the merchant marketplace section, uh, and I swear I must've bumped into Chewbacca five different times, you know, that, that it, it, seriously, it, it, you know, it was like being back here in New Hampshire and running into presidential candidates, you know, this, this particularly <laughs> this, this time of year, you, you, so I don't know what Chewbacca is running for, but he is really putting in the, you know, the, the, the time, the face time, um, on the other hand, uh, Scott Trowbridge, who's the uh, portfolio creative executive for Imagineering, um, he flat out said, you know, when it comes to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, we have lots of stories yet to tell, and they're still coming. Um, I wonder and- if that's uh, if it, that means here in the States or what they're planning for Paris, or maybe it's all of it. Well, you know, the, the, as I understand it, the plans for Paris are evolving. I, you know, I, I don't want to get too specific about that because sure. I, I had a friend share some stuff in confidence. But it it looks like definitely Rise of the Resistance is, you know, it has been slotted for, for their likewise Oga's Cantina. Um, but, you know, there, there seem to be some other things in play here. Um, hmm. So maybe we'll table that and come back, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to definitely swing back. Speaking of great stories, I have to tell you, and again, this is an actual book I am holding in my hand. I picked it up today. Uh, 
This is Paul Hirsch's uh, memoirs, and the and the reason it caught my attention, I'm, I, I can again, I'm constantly looking for fodder for this podcast, uh, Dan, and the, the it was literally the the this book sitting sideways on a shelf with this title that caught my eye, and it was like a long time ago in a cutting room far far away. Great title. And, and it's just like the subtitle is my 50 years editing Hollywood hits, Star Wars, Carrie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Mission Impossible and more. And um, I, I again, I apologize, folks. I only literally picked up this book today uh, and was sort of frantically reading it out ahead of, you know, Dan and I recording the show tonight. And there are so many great, great stories here. I mean, uh, for example, uh, this is this is Paul um, talking about arriving. You know, George Lucas and his wife Marsha were were in the process of editing uh, Star Wars, uh, you know, A New Hope, but they knew they needed help, so in, they invited um, you know, uh, uh, Paul to come up to the Bay Area. So he said, "We arrived on a Saturday, but everyone was at work. Uh, so I sat down to look over George's shoulder uh, as he worked on the opening of the picture." As they ran the first reel, it was a cut of a young woman in a long white dress with buns over her ears. This was my first view of Princess Leia. Carrie Fisher wasn't what you expect from a conventional movie star princess, but George and Marsha, who was instrumental in the casting, liked her spunk. They knew they needed an actress who could credibly stand toe-to-toe with Darth Vader. Carrie became much beloved as the princess. Uh, we kept running the reel. Vader made his entrance, and I could feel the power of the moment, the combination of his build, his carriage, the costume with its mask and Japanese-influenced helmet, and the sound of his breathing apparatus, as well as the low camera angle that emphasized his massive dimensions. This was exciting. This was going to be great. Um, and, but at the, the same time, you know, the weird thing is, so here, you know, that that's Marsha and George, are asking for Paul's help to find the movie that's in all the footage, uh, you know, that, that they've cobbled together, you know, and so they, they start, they start with the Ben's cave scene. And again, so where it gets interesting is that, that as they're watching the initial cut of it, um, there's something about that, that it began to bother him. And so Paul turns to George and says, I've been thinking this, there's something wrong with the scene. And, and George says, well, what is that? And it's like, well, as it stands now, Leah's message plays at the beginning of the scene. Then Luke and Ben sit and talk about the Clone Wars and how Ben knew Luke's father. He gets up and gives him a lightsaber. And only after that, Ben announces that Luke must accompany him to rescue Leia. And so George is like, yeah, so? says, well, it's as if they've just heard this awful news from her. And they don't react. You know, the world is on fire and they're just sitting there talking. And George's like, hmm, I see what you mean. So can't we restructure it so they get all this talk about the old days out of the way before they play the message? Then as soon as they hear it, they, they can react. And and so it was it was Paul who, you know, suggested that sort of, you know, you know, swapping the way the footage had initially been shot. Uh, which then led to, you know, the scene as we know it today. Um, now, what's what's especially interesting about this is that he was pretty brutal. Uh, you know, Paul, when he got in the editing bay, he was talking about, for example, 
you know, the, the famous Toshi power station scene with Biggs. And, and well, first of all, he kept talking about how from an editing point of view, it was a nightmare because Biggs had a costume with a cape. And I guess whoever was handling continuity for that scene, you know, every time you tried to cut the scene together, Biggs had thrown his cape over a different shoulder. And it was like, uh, I can't make this work. But more to the point, there was all this talking and, you know, and, and, and information that was shared better at different places in the movie. And in the end, Paul pointed out, it's like, look, you know, we we just saw R two D two and three C C three P O, you know, blast out of uh, you know, that 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 uh, in that escape pod, and wouldn't you know, it, the audience is is definitely hooked into that story. Wouldn't it make more sense just to drop this and go straight to C three P O and and R two D two? And so in the end, you know, the, the, for those of you who, you know, have been moaning for years about the, the cut scenes from, from Star Wars and the Tashi Powers, you know, uh, station scene, this is, this is Paul. You know, it's like, look, we can tell this story faster. We can tell this story with more economy. Um, and, but some of the other stuff that he had a handle in is just, you know, I mean, Listen to this, Dan. You're, you're absolutely going to love this part. Um, okay, so you know that he, they're talking now. George and, and um, Paul are talking about the lightsabers, and George turns to, to. I mean, this is how how early in the process Paul's involved. Uh, by the way, any thoughts on the colors? I was thinking of making Luke's sword red and Vader's blue. And, and Paul responded, actually, I do. Uh, and he hearkened back to my studies in art history. In Renaissance painting, the generally accepted Christian iconography is that uh, always painted Jesus and Mary in red and blue, with red representing earthly and blue the celestial. So actually, I think it would be better to have Vader's be the red sword and Luke's the blue. Had had you ever heard that before, Dan? No, and this is the kind of stuff that fascinates me as an English teacher because we talk about symbols and in color, mm. and color is such a powerful motif in literature. Mm. Uh, so this this particular entry is endlessly fascinating to me. Oh, and it's well again. This is why I cannot recommend enough. Uh, a long time ago, in a, a cutting room far, far away, it, you know, it just it talks about how smart George was about the movie he was making. He, for example, they talk here about the casting of Leia, and it's like George told me that he had calculated that he approached the casting of the princess in one of two ways: he could have cast a woman who would have appealed to more to the Playboy reading male audience, or he could go younger and try for the prepubescent audience. He chose the latter. And this is George talking about the, the film as they're cutting it together in 76 thereabouts. He's like, look, this is basically a Disney film. And those movies always make $16 million. You can look it up. This picture is going to cost about $10 million, so it probably won't turn a profit. But we should be able to make some money if we sell some toys based on the characters. So... <laughs> Well, I, I I wonder how that's going to turn out. I wonder how that's going to turn out as well. But but the other thing, frankly, that that and and, and in this, 
I again, I, I wanted to close out talking about this book with this story, but it's um, Paul uh, J. J. Abrams actually brings uh, Paul in uh, about two and three months before uh, the uh, the Force Awakens is released to theaters, and it's like. You know, you you cut the original New Hope. I I want you to you know take a look at this and see if you have any notes. And and the interesting thing is because he helped out, he wound up getting invited along with his daughter um, to the opening of uh, the Force Awakens in Hollywood. And uh, you know, so he's there with his daughter Gina, and he says, "I wound up seated in the same theater as George." At the end of the picture, I managed to catch up with him as leaving, and he says. I said to him, boy, that was something, wasn't it? Compared to this, we were just playing with model airplanes on string. And and George says, yes, and and thank you. And Paul says, thank you for what? And he says, for my career. And, you know, and then, and then he said again, you were the last guy standing. You saved my picture. Wow. So, I mean, I just, you know, there's something like that, that he could be that gracious that far after the fact, but recognizing that they spent eight, eight solid months, you know, turning all of that raw footage into the film that we know and love today. That's, that's, um, a, that's so powerful. This, yeah, you are, you are very, very beautifully selling this book. So no, no, no. no and it's, just, it's, you know, trust me folks, that there's equally good stories in here about John Hughes movies, like plane trains and automobile or Ferris Bueller, uh, but, but seriously, if you, you've got a Star Wars history buff on your hands, uh, that, you know, that, that you need to get something for this Christmas, this is the book. You know, go get that. Um, and, and speaking of shopping, okay, so I have been to the bizarre Black Star Outpost. I have drunk the green and blue milk. I have piloted rather poorly, I might add, the Millennium Falcon. Um, and when we get back from this commercial break, Dan and I are going to talk about my initial experience during my very first visit to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. And we're back. Um, Okay, so before we get started here, again, we've been talking, Dan and I have been talking about uh, The Mandalorian. It's a huge success right out of the box. Uh, there's, There's genuine anticipation building for Rise of Skywalker at this point. By the way, you saw that that new ad that they have with the the scene on the Star Destroyer. I didn't. I I know oh. it's there, and I purposely avoided it because I don't want to know. <laughs> okay, then I'll turn I off won't. my my mic my headphones for about a minute if you want to talk about it. No, 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 no. I'm going to be fair. You know, again, I, I I have to admit I admire the fact that you're able to do this. You know, I I I'm on the other hand, I'm a pig with truffles every. every <laughs> Every time another one of these trailers opens, I, I'm on it like the Zapruder film, going through individual frames. And no, there's 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 some images in this this new trailer that, you know, that was you know just, that's it. Take my money now. You know, I I want to see this movie. The and the, um, the dopamine that is released when it, with the anticipation is is on full gear for me all the time. So that's that's mm-hmm. my favorite part. The anticipation. Well, you know, that, that's again cannot wait to what you have to say about the finished product and we're basically only a month out at this point i know just a couple of shows left and we're going to be talking about this thing well now speaking of which though now you would think with the mandalorian you know the, the success right out of the box and again anticipation building for rise of skywalker this should be a time of celebration for kathleen kennedy um and yet 
this poor woman is now getting stories like the one that ran in the Hollywood Reporter five days ago. And let me say right up front that the, the woman who wrote the piece, Kim Masters, um, I've worked with Kim. She's she's a she's a killer reporter. She wrote, uh, you know, the, 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 you know the one of the more definitive books about the Disney Company. Uh, in fact, I wish it had gone with the original title, which was "The Rise of Michael Eisner and the Fall of Everybody Else." Um, so, you know, great respect for her as a reporter, and you know, uh, uh, helped her with you know a, a bunch of stories in the past. So. I'm not faulting her reporting in the slightest. I know that, that if she's putting this stuff out, somebody at the studio has given this to her. Um, but I have to admit, I'm not thrilled with an article that stresses that Kathleen Kennedy is 66 years old. And, you know, and, you know, that, you know, somehow we're supposed to read between the lines. Well, that she's old, she's out of touch. And this is why, you know, they had to reshoot so much of a solo you know, Star Wars story or, you know, all the work they had to do on Rogue One. And it's just sort of like, it's like, now, wait a minute. She's 66. Bob Iger is 68. Alan Horn, the head of Disney Studios, is 76. Um, George Lucas, 75. Steven Spielberg, who Kathleen and her husband worked for for years over at Ambling, is 72. So, Dan, I don't get how it is that a woman, when a woman's 66, you know, she's old and out of touch. Uh, but Bob Iger, who's 68, you know, and just did this, you know, multi-billion dollar deal with Fox and just launched, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, Disney Plus, the subscription streaming service. I mean, he's at the height of his powers, you know, but he's two years older. Um, right. Is that seem fair to you no it's and- sexist it's of course sexist thinking and it, it doesn't make any sense to me i i have never understood the vitriol that is aimed towards kathleen kennedy i think she mm-hmm. is wonderful mm-hmm. i think she has injected life and excitement into star wars that we hadn't seen in mm-hmm. a very 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 long time i mean when george was running the show at the end for all of his um amazing things that he did all we were getting were parodies from family mm-hmm. guy and things like that and robot chicken which is fine, but that doesn't advance the narrative and the mythology. That's yeah. what Kathleen Kennedy has done. Mm-hmm. And for her to be on a hot seat, even as, as a as a casual conversation, I just I have a very hard time believing that. And I hope that she stays for as long as possible because I think she's doing a heck of a job. I mean, you can't control the whims and the caprice of Hollywood and the different talents. I mean, she's working with a ton of different people. And mm-hmm. yes, I'm aware that Marvel has a formula that is 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 gold and they're and they're printing money with Tony Stark on. I mm-hmm. get that. But you know, one size doesn't fit all. Different things work uh in different from a certain point of view, right? Let's take the Star Wars thing and I, I think I think it's ridiculous too. I I think it's crazy. Well I think I have to agree and it kind of breaks my heart to she was quoted recently in the Rolling Stone as as saying, what happens in the future and how long and how much longer I get to do this? I don't know. I'm looking at all of that. So it's just sort of like, oh, come on, you know, just, you I mean, know, the push button thing is, Oh, let's have Favreau and uh, Filoni do it. Well, sure. Fine. But yeah. come on. We we've had three episodes of Mandalorian. It's, it's breathtakingly wonderful and glorious, mm-hmm. but let's, let's just uh, take a deep breath and um, just enjoy. Yeah, I know. I agree. I agree. And, and speaking of taking a deep breath, I have to admit, 
as I came into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, in fact, I, I went in this past Tuesday. Can I just uh, jump in and say I have been dying to hear mm-hmm. this? I can, and this everyone listening to this, it's mm-hmm. my first time finding out what Jim thought too. I cannot wait. Well, I, you know, I, I have to admit, I loved the sort of stage setting, the fact that you came through this this tunnel that that just jogged a bit to the right. So you didn't, you know, it wasn't immediately revealed to you. You sort of, the story unfolded in front of you. I, I also loved the the detailing of, you know, that as you look to the sides of the caverns, it clearly had been carved out with some sort of, you know, laser cannon or that sort of thing. In fact, as I understand it, that's also a conceit that runs through the extended queue of Rise of the Resistance. You know, you're going through this ruin that has been, you know, carved away to create bigger spaces and that sort of thing. So, um, I, the, the details were all killer. I mean, I love the audio profile. In fact, when you, when it, you've been to the land multiple times now, Dan, I can bump both coasts. Um, the, did the TIE fighter fly over while you were there? No, it did not. Well, that's the thing. We were in the marketplace and they did this amazing, you know, we're sitting for, down for lunch and suddenly you hear a tie fighter fly over but not just fly over you hear it's done with the the doppler effect you know so you you can literally your ears are tracking this thing as it flies overhead um and that's pretty fantastic i have to wonder i i have you seen the photos well again you're you're being good uh you know out ahead of the december 5th opening of rise of the resistance are you talking? Oh. You're talking about the drones, right? Yeah, I, I've seen stills. I haven't seen mm-hmm. actual video, but I've seen stills, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm pretty uh, spellbound by it. I wonder if the audio uh, that I heard that day was it was a test for, uh, you know, what they're going to do that night when they do the opening and have the 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 Tie Fighter and the X Wing fly over. Wouldn't that be cool? Oh. That would be cool. That would that's be like cool, the but... understatement of the year. My goodness, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but but yeah, now now coming through the, the the rise of the resistance side, you of course you had your red wing, your your A wing, your X wing, uh, and I, I gotta say, horticulture did an amazing job. It looks like it's been there forever. Yes, uh, and and definitely had those those color tones of like Tatooine, uh, you know. So and again, in fact, I remember. Uh, getting to talk with with, with uh, Dennis Chang is is that the name Doug Chang Doug Chang uh, about you know how you know uh, they were trying to get that that those those structures that were very reminiscent of Jabba's palace that you know there's sort of a squashed cylinder that you know you you know when you, when you see it it's part of the the, the Star Wars universe um, but. They did such a nice job with, you know, the sort of making the used future of the films practical. Yes. Um, and, you know, and, re- and realistic. Well, yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly. In fact, that, you know, for example, uh, our, our, our good friend, Angela Ragno, uh, served as Sherpa. She had been in there. I want to say almost 10 times at this point. She's like, let me show you, let, let me take you the right way. And so, you know, she she did a beautiful job of bringing us up to just the right spot to have the Millennium Falcon, you know, reveal itself. Um, How did and, you feel when you first saw it? And you've heard I, about I it. I forever. have to admit, 
Um, you know, it, I, I didn't do the, the, the fanboy weeping thing, but it was just sort of like, wow, that is genuinely cool. Now, mind you, I, I do apologize. We were only able to do this during the day and Angela kept going over and over again about, you know, this is great, but you have to come back at night. You know, they do such a spectacular job with the way this land is lit that, you know, it, it's, you, you're just getting half the story coming in here during the day. And I know when you were out at D23, you used to run over and you know, close uh, yeah. the Anaheim version down each night, didn't you? Or Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because seeing it at night is uh, is spectacular. Mm-hmm. And yep. all right. Well, I'll, I'll have to do that, you know, the next time, you know. Your homework. Fact, yep. There we go. Um, and and then, you know, oh, we got lucky. We were there on a day. I mean, mind you, it's, you know, I don't know where all these stories about, you know, oh, my God, you know, there are no crowds in, in galaxies. Again, we were there on a Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And this place was was not packed, but busy. Yeah. In fact, I can't, I cannot even imagine what this is going to be like come the Thanksgiving Day weekend. I know. Uh, you I know. know. <laughs> you know, when rise I'll, the resistance opens i'll, I'll tell you because i'm going to be there yeah okay um all right so we we start into the queue for millennium falcon and it's it's a 50 minute long experience but compared to folks who waited three and four hours to get to ride it i'm i have no complaints uh in fact i, I really enjoyed a lot of the the announcements you know the you know hondo berating his staff and and that sort of thing <laughs> uh and and an amazing and again, animatronic yeah no no, no it's, it's, it it's it's a beautiful thing they do they do a nice job and i particularly enjoyed that moment where the the, the falcon sort of you know sort of flew into place and you know and again that that was a wonderful bait and switch from you had seen it outside and oh they moved it so you know there was never a well, that's it's clearly a fake. I'm I'm not entering where the Falcon was. That you know that it's like oh they've moved it. Well, okay, you know now I'm not sure how I get on board this thing. Um, now that said, and I again, I I want to stress here I'm a six year old guy who doesn't game. Um, so and Angela was did a superb job. She got Nancy and I set up to be the pilots of the Millennium Falcon. So I was, and, and again, it was one of these things where I wanted Nancy to have the, uh, the light speed experience, you know, cause, cause again, she has to put up with me. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's crucial. You have a good time. So she was the one who was the, the main pilot and did the light speed and the up and down control. And I was the left, right control. And I gotta tell you, Dan, um, I don't. I didn't necessarily enjoy piloting the millennium Falcon, but. Um, it's stressful, isn't it? It is. It is. And and more to the point, you know, there are four people seated behind you whose enjoyment of this experience depends on you doing a good job. And I, you know, I'm a guy who who never mastered Pong. You know, oh that, boy. <laughs> you know, that, no, no hand eye control whatsoever. All right. Well, so I, I can empathize with that because the first time I flew it, mm-hmm. I thought I kept thinking. I waited my whole life to pilot this thing. I don't want to screw it up. And then yeah. you realize any people behind you are watching. You feel like people are watching, but really they're looking mm-hmm. at the screen and they're all mm-hmm. around you and things like that. So I totally get that. That's why I said that being the engineer might be my favorite thing because you get in the, you get a, in the very back. You, you don't have to worry about anything. You just push a couple of buttons. And you can just watch the fun. 
Uh, so that would be something I would suggest the next I time you try it. But putting it to light speed, mm-hmm. pretty special. The, no, I agree. Special. I agree. And, and you know, Nancy definitely got a, a, a kick out of that. And I was, was happy to see that. Now, so, I want to say, I mean, I, I I love it, but I don't think it's anything near as cool as, as uh, the flight of the Banshee. I don't even think it's in the same atmosphere. Did you feel like you were looking at a screen? Because to me, I, I even though it's well done, I still can feel like, I'm looking at screen, whereas with Avatar, I feel like, no, I'm there. I'm in Pandora. Yeah, I have to admit, again, I'm going to have to go back and do Millennium Falcon because, to be honest, I was a terrible backseat driver. I mean, poor Nancy. You know, I kept, you know, I was doing my left and right thing, but at the same time barking at her about up, down, because, again, we were taking out. And, you know, <laughs> you were that guy. <laughs> oh, God, I was the worst. I get you know, just especially as we're leaving Black Spire Outpost and we're, 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 we're managed to hit every one of the spires. In fact, I think we were only <laughs> 25% successful on our mission. You know, oh, boy. Fact, they, yeah, we were, we were, you know, a, a Hondo should have sought me out and slapped me. Um, but, you know, but again, um, I, you know, love the, the march out, uh, you know, the, the, through, even more of the theme space. I mean, overall, I think they did a, a brilliant job. And, and the fact that, you know, the, here's this amazing ride mechanism with seven different pods, you know, continuously rotating three different stations. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea. Any of that physical setup is there. All you know, is True. you walk down that tunnel and there you are, you're on the millennium Falcon. The um, interior is exquisite and, mm-hmm. and just something that you just can't get enough of. And I, speaking of which, you know, you, you know, when you're you're hanging out in that space waiting for your call, you know, and, and you get to sit there with the the hollow chest thing, that is pretty special. They did a, a super oh, job. It's, it's magnificent. It's magnificent. You got, now, you got to check out my videos that I did when I was there for the opening. I, I, I will do yeah. that. Now, I, you know, conversely, you know, again, you know, when you look at the Millennium Falcon, you you, you can you can see the the years of research that went into it, that, you know, that it's successful design. It's, 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 you know, uh, you know, in spite of my own issues with, you know, you know, I could, I think I would have preferred a more passive experience like star tours watching the adventure unfold rather than being, but I, again, I think that's more generational. I think that's more my problem than what Imagineering did. On the other hand, the blue milk, I I got to tell you, Dan. You know, I've been following this since they they cut the check. You know, for for Lucasfilm. Uh, you know, the whole notion of wow, they're going to do a Harry Potter like you know detailed land, and you know, then their butterbeer is going to be blue milk, and you know, to so and thank God I only waited like five minutes to get you know I got a glass of the green, I got a glass of the blue. And, you know, and I should have known something when the attendant was and, you know, looked at my <laughs> my elderly face and said, do you want the rum? You know, this, you know, because <laughs> now you can get, you know, you know, your blue milk and green milk with a, you know, for seven dollars more with a with a shot of rum in it. And I thought, no, 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 I want to try it the way <laughs> the way that God intended blue milk to be consumed. That's right. Um, so which and, one did you like better? I didn't like either of them. I, it was like, you know, it was one of these things like this. This is what, you know, after, you know, months and months and months in the Disney test kitchen. I, they're not, they're not great. I prefer the blue. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's it's I mean, if butterbeer is a standard, it's not it's not close to that, unfortunately. I, I, I hope that they revisit it to some degree because I've never heard I, anyone rave about it. Yeah, I, I I have to admit because right now I you know not to be rude here, but for me, you know, blue milk and green milk is one and done. I'm not I'm not going to queue up for that again. No, you know, that's fair. That's fair. I, I do prefer the blue. I will okay. say. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that that's that's like saying I enjoy drinking this flavor of house paint. You know. But but again, you know. To, <laughs> so, so please stop mincing words and just be honest. How do you? Really I'm feel? sorry. I'm a, yeah. I'm. Uh, I've been waiting for blue milk, you know, since 1977. <laughs> no, I agree. I totally agree. On maybe, the other hand, they need to make it actual dairy. I don't know. And uh, well, changed. see, but again, that that's the whole decision tree there is what do you do with, you know, what do you do with the kid who wants bad. to have blue milk but is, is lactose intolerant? You know, right. you can't deny them that experience. Fair. Um, on the other hand, went to Ronto's Roasters. That was great. You know, the, very the, tasty. The, yep. Very tasty. Uh, like the presentation, uh, now mind you, uh, you know, I think I talked about this with Len. I, I, you know, I, I was just trying to have sort of a, a galaxy Z experience and there was the, the menu board. And so it's like, okay, so I'll have the Tatooine sunset and the surly Sarlacc, I guess it was called. Um, and accidentally ordered an alcoholic beverage. Um, which was not what I was intending, but it's just sort of like the way the menu board was set up. It's like, okay, so these two or actually three beverages are sitting side by side. You know, I thought I, I, I would have assumed that the alcoholic beverages would have been, you know, uh, you know, had their own display of that sort of thing. But that's, I, I think that's more on me than them, you know? Um, sure. But, I, you know, I, I, I can't go. And we, we sat outside the restaurant in the outdoor cafe area. And again, I got to watch, you know, Chewbacca walk around and interact with folks. And that was great fun. And, uh, th- this is also the sort of elevated, um, uh, porch area where you can look out and you have that really spectacular view of the Millennium Falcon from above. Um, and again, it, w- it was just hard not to be impressed with the level of detail and the obvious care that had gone into it. Um, you know, and, and also enjoyed making my way through the uh, the merchant's market area. Uh, you know, and I think, again, we talked earlier in the show about, you know, the, the really smart thing that the toy dairy and toy maker had done with the Yoda, uh, the handmade Yoda dolls. Um <laughs> and, and you know again nancy and i are such suckers uh we we were in the the uh which store was that the the one with the animals um oh like the the critter yeah i know what you're talking about i can't yeah, think of the name. critters or the creature stall and yeah it's creature stall. we came within inches of, of springing for a loath cat um but I can, I've got the, the, the plush loath cat that the, the folks at Lucasfilm were nice enough to send me a year or so back. And it's right. like, that, 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 you know, the hard plastic one that meows and that sort of thing. It's nice, but it's, it's, it's not as nice as the plush one. Um, that, that's whole, that whole area, the marketplace is, is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't think, I need a thesaurus to come up with more superlatives to describe some of these things. They did, I mean, I just, love that atmosphere so much. It, and, no, and absolutely. Stuff is so you, unique. You can see all of the, the the field work that they did, all of the trips to Morocco to get the sense of the real space and, you know, what makes that place come to life. So, 
Um, now I, I have to cut. Uh, Did you go on the here. docks, the dock ondars? You know, I, we got in there and uh, that was the, in fact, we got in there and we got into the droid depot and in both cases, they were, you know, and again, you know, that's remember, you know, that that's the narrative that's out there for Star Wars Galaxies. Oh, there's nobody there. They, you know, that, that's it. there were no crap that it was really shoulder to shoulder in both spaces. Oh, that's and, good to hear. You know, and, and again, I'm happy for them from a retail point of view, but on the other hand, from a walking around and eyeballing things, um, you know, it wasn't quite as successful. Um, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed both spaces, but at the same time, after a while, it's like, I'm going to be outside because, you know, it just, it's, it's tough to, to shop when people are like, Ooh, what's that? What's this? What's that? Yes. Um, but you know, did those, but didn't get into Oga's Cantina uh, didn't get into docking bay seven or for that matter, Salvi's, uh, savvy salvage. Oh yeah. Uh, which you I, couldn't do unless you got a reservation anyway. Well, there you go. And I, I just figured better to save this, uh, for when rise of the resistance is open and, you know, and more to the point to go back and, and do the nighttime experience. So, you know, to, to, cause again, Angela just raved about that. Um, so I, I guess I have to say, Dan, I, I liked what I saw. I thought it was good. I thought it was solid. Um, a couple of things caught my attention, you, you know, that, you know, for example, we were walking back out, headed toward Grand Avenue and literally I, I looked down at one point and the pavement below my foot had cracked and separated. In fact, it was, was loose underfoot, um, which again, you know, sort of speaks volumes about. Uh, you know, when the concrete was poured and then under what conditions it was poured. And, sure. uh, but yeah, again, this is the first year, you know, and that's, you know, I, and more to the point, this was just right by where Rise of the Resistance, uh, is, is, you know, the, the queue area for that. And I'm sure Disney noticed and I'm sure they're going to fix it because shortly the entire world is going to be standing in that line. Uh, and they're, you know, they're not going to want people tripping over loose pavement or that sort of thing. No. Um, also, well, I'm glad you say, got to finally experience. I'm glad I got to go to finally experience as well. I, I understand why the folks at IAPA went out of their way to, you know, recognize what had been done with Black Spire Outpost. You know, that, that, you know, recognizing the outstanding work there. Uh, more to the point, uh, when we were driving into the studios, I uh, got to tell you, the uh, Star Wars Galactic. Star Cruiser Hotel is really coming along. Um, in fact, I made some phone calls, uh, and they are definitely on track for an late 2020 opening, but that's going to be soft. That's going to be, you know, testing with cast members and that sort of thing with the idea Does that, that mean it will December, be December, basically. Well, hard to, hard to you know, probably. that's, I think they're going to try to get. Um, I, I was hearing as early as summer of 2020, but I want to stress here that summer of 2020 was about getting cast members in there. Cause remember this, this is, this is a, a hotel resort where the, it's basically modeled after the cruise line plan, you know, that did you have a two and three day long experience. And so to make sure that all of the nuts and bolts work that, you know, the, as I understand it, they're going to do, uh, you know, bring a, a bunch of carefully selected cast members in who are going to sign non-disclosures, the size of phone books. Um, uh, 
you know, have them do the experience, uh, then do a lot of, um, after, you know, uh, after action groups, you know, the survey folks and shut down for about two and three weeks to sort of retool, you know, finesse the scenarios. And then it just the idea of, of putting two and three test groups through before the first set of paying customers actually come through the door. And, and um, then we got to get the media in there too. Come on. And yeah, yeah. That, that you're not wrong. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they actually go about this. Um, but you know, so just anticipate folks a certain level of frustration because you're going to know there's people in that building and that they're having this amazing Star Wars adventure, but you can't get in yet. Um, but, but as Dan has pointed out, you know, that there, there, there's a certain amount of virtue in, in waiting, you know, and, and showing self-control. And I, I seriously, you, you are not watching the Skywalker trailers. No, I, I, I watched, I watched the, the trailer that was on Monday Night Football was the last thing I saw. I haven't watched any of the clips. I didn't wow. watch what JJ released. No, I just don't want to. I, I want to, the thing I always refer to, and it's, it's a bit of a short shelf life. Mm-hmm. But when the, in the last Jedi trailer, they show a, a powerful scene mm-hmm. where Kylo Ren appears like he's going to blast General Leia, his mother, out of out of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. And then, so then, I knew that moment of narrative, that moment of pathos, was going to happen in the movie. So when it happened in the movie, the first time I saw it, as much as it moved me, it was nowhere near the level that it could have been or should have been had it been the first time. So I want, I want that first cinema experience to be something that moves me like no other. I get it. I have to admire your self-control. I will tell you, though, however, that I was the kid that as of as of October, you know, my mother would be hiding Christmas presents. And whenever she would leave the house, it, you know, I trashed the place. You know, that, uh, <laughs> I was in closets. I was under beds. I was in the attic. You know, the, the, I was determined to find this stuff. So I have absolutely no self-control when it comes to secrets and i have to know things in advance so this is my wife will literally come home from shopping i'll say please don't tell me where you went i don't want to know where you went and she's like oh and she'll kind of roll around okay i'm i'm sort of extreme the other way (laughs) well no i I can i i I admire this i genuinely admire this so um well anyway folks if if you're looking for other admirable material to to, particularly within the star wars sphere to, to to listen to to enjoy dan has this plethora of podcasts that, that they are well worth going out of your way to to, 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 to listen to. to run us through the game mr there sure thank you sir uh, coffee with kenobi of course every week uh, is your spoiler free place for stars discussion analysis and rhetoric want to make you think we want to make you laugh and of course right now every week's show is going to be a detailed review of the mandalorian i, I have a rotating uh, chair of co-hosts that join me as we break down the Mandalorian and what it means for the Star Wars mythology overall. And if you really like uh, hearing what I have to say, I have a Patreon page. Uh, Coffee with Kenobi has a Patreon page where we have a weekly podcast called CWK Pearlover, hosted by myself, Tom Gross, and Corey Clever. We look at pop culture behind the scenes of the podcast, Star Wars, Marvel, theme parks, all kinds of goodies. Well, we're checking out. Uh, on, on the other hand, over here at uh, Jimmy Hill Media, we got uh, Disney Dish, which I do with Lentesta, which is about the Disney theme parks. 
Uh, we have fine tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, <laughs> which which is about animation news. Uh, we have the marvelous uh, Disney podcast, which I do with Aaron Adams about uh, the what's going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the shows that are in the works for Disney Plus. Uh, we have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, which is about the Universal Parks, and we have. I want that with Michelle Valladolid, and we're getting a new show for that up out of the ground. Michelle's recovering from surgery, but uh, we've got a, a holiday shopping guide coming up, which I'm going to make sure includes, again, this Paul Hirsch book, which I really it's just uh, so many great stories. Um, anyway, uh, if you could do Dan and I a favor, uh, if you could head on over to iTunes and rate and recommend both Coffee with Kenobi and the, the pour over and the other shows that, that Dan does. Likewise, the podcast we do here at Jim Hill media, uh, that helps, uh, get us eyeballs, extra ears. Uh, if on the other hand, you really, really, really like what we do here, uh, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, uh, well, that makes it possible for us to go to Barnes and Noble and buy books like this. But, um, I guess for now, Dan, uh, just want to wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. I, I understand. What you, do you leave tomorrow to go to Chicago to collect your son, or uh, we go? I leave the day before Thanksgiving, and then bring home that night, and then we're going to be hosting. We're gonna have a, a good sized oh, amount of really people sweet. over at our house. Yeah, it's great stuff. Okay, yeah, have a happy well. and safe Thanksgiving to you, Jim, and, I, and everyone listening to everything on the Jim Hill Media Network. And how do you top that? Okay, we're closing down now, folks. Thanks for listening. Have a happy holiday, and Dan and I will be back soon with a brand new show.